0: Now, I've said this to some of you before, but I want to reiterate this. And I want to describe holiness from the Jewish mentality. Okay, Any of you that have gone through my discipleship conference have heard me say this. But it's worth repeating because it doesn't hurt to understand this. But the concept of holiness, which holiness, let's just be upfront about this. Holiness is a bad word in Christianity today. We know it's a biblical word. But it's a bad biblical word. It means legalism to most people. It means uh, snooty above others, pride in your spiritual walk. Because no one really is holy but God. So if you are going to call yourself holy, well, that means you're fooling yourself spiritually. And you're living a false existence. Okay, that is the framework for this word that I'm about to bring up. Now, most of us accept the fact that God is holy, but we have no clue what that even means. It just means, you know, bright and you know, different and uh, pure. Various words like that we could throw out. But here's a Jew's mindset on holiness. God, to a Jew, they realize that out of all the universes, God chose this universe or this galaxy, if you will. To unfold his drama. So out of all the universes, out of all the universe, if we just say it that way, and out of all the galaxies, God chose our galaxy. Out of all our galaxy, he chose our solar system and he chose our planet. In other words, out of all of this, our planet and our solar system is more holy than any other. Why? Because it was selected out. It was separated out by God for his purposes. He said, mine, this is mine. This is the one I select. We could say, why did he select this? You know that, you know, when I was teaching Hudson uh, the solar system, it's, Earth is very unimpressive when you look at the solar system. It, it, you have Jupiter. Have you guys ever seen the cloud on Jupiter? It's like this cloud. It's not that big compared to the size of Jupiter. But supposedly, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I might be off by a few digits here, but this is basically what it is. You can fit 360 Earths inside of that cloud on Jupiter. And the cloud on Jupiter is just, you know, a small little piece of it. 360 Earths would fit in there. And Earth is pretty big. In other words, if you're God, wouldn't you pick Jupiter? Instead, he says, no, no, get that out of it. Saturn, yeah, I know it has this cool look to it, but hey. I want that little diddly squat one right there, earth. God doesn't always choose and select the things that we would select. He chooses earth. And you can only imagine that other you know, solar systems would probably look really cool too. And he chose ours. Ours is probably the one that is a real dud. You know, We'll look at it and we're like, why did he pick that one? Out of all of earth, he could have selected some great places. Instead, he selects Israel. Israel is this little teeny diddly squat country, and you have to study geography to know what I mean by when I say it's really small. It has to be one of the smallest countries out there, and it's not very impressive, and it is surrounded by very hostile nations. If you're going to pick a great location, you don't pick Israel, especially, especially from our vantage point right now. If you could pick a great location to start something, most of us would probably pick New Zealand. It's like, you know what? It's not in the middle of all the hostility right now. You know, it's a beautiful, lush territory. You have mountains, you have tropics, you know, it's all sorts of things. Everything's in New Zealand. God picks Israel. Why would he pick that place? And he says, this is more holy. This is the holiest place on earth. Why? Because God selected it for the unfolding of his drama. He said, mine. This is my territory. Then, you know, we could say even out of all the people on earth, God selected the Israelites. The Israelites. Again, not a very impressive people. They have gotten under people's skin for years. They have a tendency to be rather belligerent people. God says, mine. I will unfold my drama through them. Out of all of Israel, he selects Jerusalem as the holy city. It is the city among all the other cities, because you could say every city in Israel would be holy. Of course, because it's all part of Israel. Well, you can say that about every country in, America, in, in the world. Well, it's all set apart for God's drama because all of his drama is unfolded on earth. But there are gradients to holiness. In other words, there are things that are more holy than others because there's a greater degree of consecration, which means to be set apart. So, Jerusalem, out of all the cities on earth, or out of all the cities in Israel, is set apart as the holy city. That's what it's known as the holy city. Holy Jerusalem. And then out of all of Jerusalem, there is a plot of land that is more holy than any other plot, and that is the Temple Mount. And then on that Temple Mount, there are gradients of holiness. You have the outer court, which is not as holy as the inner court, which is not as holy as the holiest place in the entire universe, which is the holy of holies. And like I said, the Jews are all holy. They were set apart for God, God's purposes. But out of all the Jews, out of 12 tribes, 12 divisions of Jews, there is one tribe that is more holy than any other, set apart for his work in the temple of God, which is the Levites. And out of all the Levites, there are those that are more holy than other Levites, and those are the priests. And then out of all the priests, there is one priest that is more holy than any other priest, and that's the high priest, you know out of all the languages on Earth that could be used to express truth, reality, one language was selected by God, known as Hebrew. And that language was God sort of like mine. that's my language. And out of all that language, you know, there are degrees of even holiness in the words that are used that Jews treat certain words with great deference. and there is one word that is more holy than any other word, and that's the name of Jehovah God. They wouldn't even say it for fear that they'd be struck dead. They had a tremendous respect for things that God set apart and said, mine, too. He said, this is not something you take lightly. This is mine. Anything that belongs to God, we don't mess with. We do not profane it. We do not treat it as if it's small or that we do not treat it lightly. That's a Jew's mentality. And so out of all the calendar year, There are certain days which are known as holy days. We we know them as holidays in our calendar. And the Jews treated them as more holy than any other days. And so as a result, they lived differently on those days because those were days that God hallmarked. He said, these are my days, and this is what you will do on my day. And so they respected that because, hey, it was God who said, my day. And then out of all the days of the year, there is one day that was more holy than any other, and that was the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the day, it was the holy of holy days. Because on that day, all the elements of holiness came together. You had the holiest day, in the holiest place, in the holy of holies. You had the high priest who was the holiest person in the, all, the, all the universe, technically. <laughs> he was the holiest person, the most the one set apart to stand as the intercessor for God's people. He was selected by God. And he came into that holy of holies once a year on the day of atonement, and he uttered the holiest word in the Hebrew language, the name of God. It's an incredible thing. And this is just a little, and I've said this to those of you that have listened to me talk about this before, but in Jewish tradition, this isn't a biblical statement here, but in Jewish tradition, if that high priest even had a speck of sin upon his life, When he would enter into the Holy of Holies, it wasn't just a fear that he would fall down dead because they would tie a rope around his ankle so they could pull him out. It wasn't just for fear that he would fall down dead. It was that the entire universe would be destroyed. That is the Jews' deference towards holiness. In other words, this is a holy God. And even saying it, they would tremble. We have no idea what we're dealing with. And so when we call ourselves, oh, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have no idea. To a Jew that is such an affront. That is such an offense. And it's like, they look at us and they go, why would God put up with this people? Christianity is debunked in a Jew's mind simply by how we treat our God. Because if, they, if we, as Christians, knew who this God was and how holy he was, we would not treat lightly and trapes lightly upon holy things. We are, according to Paul, And according to the New Testament, temples of the Holy Spirit. That holy of holy places in the Old Testament has become us. That is extraordinary. And to a Jew, that is absolute blasphemy. That God would condescend to associate with a pile of manure. Because that's what we are. Like I was saying earlier. You know, all the animal sounds in the stable, and all the smells that come with it, well, welcome to yours truly. That's us. And God has condescended, and the Jew cannot fathom that, which is why they miss Jesus. Because Jesus condescended to be born as a baby in a stable. That is extraordinary. And we don't understand how extraordinary that is, because oftentimes we don't approach it from a Jewish mindset. But it is absolutely unbelievable that the God of the universe would come to this earth and he would choose to be born in this girl and be assumed to be illegitimate, be born in a stable, to be raised in Nazareth, which is the armpit of Israel. This is not a good strategy. The Jews were looking for a God that would match a certain template. But they didn't understand his condescension and his love. They didn't understand what he would be willing to do to rescue his people. This is too much for our God to pull off. He wouldn't dare do that. And as a result, the Jews felt it was upon them. They must live a certain way. They must perform these rites. They must do this. But those were all a shadow to prepare them for the one who would do it with his own blood. That is an extraordinary testimony of what Jesus Christ did. But we need to realize the. The Levites were set apart for a very important task, and that was as intercessors for their people to to basically make the sacrifices, to stand in the gap for a people of sin. Because the Israelites, yes, they were God's holy people, but they were a people in sin just like we are, they had the same DNA. The same inerrant problems. They have the Word of God in front of them, and they can't perform it. So they had to sacrifice day and night. Two sacrifices a day, day and night, to cover the sins of the people. And if you had an individual sin, you had to bring a sin offering to the temple. You had to make propitiation for the different issues in your life. The same way that we are responsible to confess our sins, they were responsible to deal with sacrifice for their sins. And that was the, the role of the priests. They were put in a position to stand for the people, if you will, to be rescuers for the people. To be able to enter into that position, if you've heard me talk about Exodus 29 before, enjoy it to fresh because I love this, uh, this concept. But, hey Hudson, do you want to come up here and I'll, I'll use you as an illustration? Okay, stand in front of daddy. Okay, you see this side of Hudson's body? See, this is Hudson's right arm. This is Hudson's right ear. I should have started there. Uh, Right cheek, uh, right part of his chin, uh, the right side of his belly button, uh, and then his right leg and his right big toe is right here. You can't see it, and if we take off his shoe, it it might give off a smell, and so we don't necessarily want to do that. But uh, God, in his I don't like uh, the word uh, symbolism sometimes because it gets some people freaked out when you start approaching Scripture with uh, symbolism. But there are certain things that are just inerrant in how God speaks through his Scripture. And he uses in the Word of God the right side of the human body as a statement. The left side is the side of dependence and the right side is the side of strength. Like if Hudson flexed his muscle... You would, you would understand why it's a side of strength. we got a huge muscle here. Of course, that's not. you need to flex it, buddy. Whoa! Uh, this is a side of strength. And when God was consecrating his priests, he would bring them before Aaron the high priest, and there would be a, a bull that was killed and cut open. Can you imagine this, B? There's, there's a bull that's cut open. What do you see inside a bull when it's cut open? Do you know what's in there when it's cut open? Do you see bones? No? Is it empty? Is it like opening up a suitcase and you're like, whoa, what, what, there's nothing in here. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to think about what's in there. Okay, well, there's all sorts of stuff we probably don't want to discuss. But uh, there's blood in there. You know that life, the reason we have life is because we have Blood. And if that blood is taken out of us, we don't have life. Okay, so when you open up that bowl, there's, there's blood. And so Aaron, the high priest, would take and dip his fingers in that blood. And he would take the priest. So Hudson, you're, you're a priest, okay? God has selected you to be a worker in his temple. And so the first thing he would do is he would smear the blood on the right ear of the priest. Does that sound like a reasonable thing to do? Why would he do that? Well, what do you do with this ear, Hudson? Does it help with anything? What does it help with? To hear. To hear. That's exactly right. Hudson hears through this. And since it's the right side, it's the side of decision making. It's the side of obedience. It's the side of obedience. And so what Hudson is saying by allowing his right ear to be smeared with the blood of the bull is he is saying whatever God wants. Whatever God speaks, whatever God asks, whatever is revealed in His Word, I yield and I obey even before I hear it. I predecide to hear my God. Because have you ever noticed that we have the capacity to plug our ears? We can even be reading Scripture and plugging our ears. Because we really don't want to hear what it has to say. But the key thing about having your right ear smeared with blood is you are saying, I'm pre-deciding that whatever God says, no matter how difficult it proves to be, I agree with it. And I will hear it before it is even spoken. And so we are asked as Christians, because we are called to do temple work. Remember, Jackson was saying earlier, we are that temple. God has made us his home. So therefore, we are like Levites. We are like these priests. And God wants to consecrate us unto that job description. Okay, Hudson, we need to do some more work on your right side. Okay, now, if I'm the, the high priest, I dip my finger in that blood, and I take Hudson's right thumb, and I smear it with blood. What, why would I take his right thumb? Well, first of all, it's the right. That means it's the side of strength and control. Okay? What do you do with that thumb? Grab. That's good. He grabs with it. You know what? I couldn't say it better than that. Let's just stay with that. He grabs with his right thumb. That's exactly what it is. He controls things. Without that thumb, have you ever tried to live without a thumb? I, I never have. I don't, don't even know how to experiment with that. But uh, without a thumb, you lose a whole dimension of control and your grip. Okay? And so Hudson says he grabs with his thumb. That's exactly right. And God knows that we have a tendency to grab in our life. He knows that we have a tendency to grab the steering wheel in our life, to grab the controls, whatever it is. If it's a plane, then we're like, we're the ones steering the ship. So God says, Hudson, I need this right thumb. First of all, it's his strength, but it's also control. And if if Hudson is going to be a priest in the temple of God, then God must have control of his life. So, God must have control of this thumb. So that what Hudson is grabbing at is what God is grabbing at in his life. Okay, there's one more thing that I need to smear blood on if I'm the high priest. You know what that is? If you were God and you were going to smear blood on someone, where would you put it? <laughs> on a nose? On a belly button? Okay, I'm going to tell you. Okay, the high priest dips his finger in the blood, and he smears it on the right big toe. So the ear, the thumb, and the right big toe. What a bizarre series of events. What, what do you do with your toe? Um, walk. i tell you what. Uh, this guy is anointed to preach. You walk with your right big toe. It leads. It goes before you. And God is saying that you cannot just go anywhere you want in this life. If you are going to be a worker in my kingdom, if you are going to be a minister in my temple, if you are going to be one that bears the Ark of Covenant, which is the presence of God, then you must realize that that right big toe must be consecrated and given to me so that where you go is where I lead you to go. And I may lead you into dark corners, into places that other people wouldn't want to go. But I want you to know that wherever I call you to go, you need to go. And wherever I say, don't go, if God says don't go somewhere, what what should you do? Don't go. Don't go. That's pretty simple. You know how hard that little thing that Hudson just said is, uh, you can sit down, buddy. You did a great job. Thanks, buddy. If God says, don't go somewhere, Hudson says, well, then don't go. Boy, if we could take that to heart. You know how many things God says, "Uh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And we're like, well, you're not me. And we go strolling right into it all the time, daily. And God says, don't do that. I'm telling you ahead of time, I know how life works and if you want your life to work and you want it to bring glory to my name, don't do that. Now, it's so funny because there's so many job descriptions. If you're a professional athlete, did you know that there's certain things that you're not allowed to do? If you're a quarterback for a professional football team, they tell you. And you enter into contract and they say, and you can't do this. You can't just go out on weekends and play certain sports or you know, dry, you know, go on mechanical bulls, for instance. Why, why would they make such a restriction? That's unfair. It's because your job is unique. You are not like normal men. You have been set apart for a a very special task. And that is the task of being a professional quarterback. And you're getting paid a lot of money for it. Well, Christianity, we don't get paid the same bucks uh, here on earth. uh, But it's the same type of specialization. We are truly special forces in this world. And if you're going to live as a special forces operative, you realize that there are certain things you just don't do. You don't have the same freedoms or privileges as everyone around you. You've given those up because God has a hand on your life. And you have consecrated your life unto him, which means you were separated out for his job description. Now, you can choose to say, I don't want to be consecrated. I don't want to be told what to do. And you won't have life either. Jesus Christ is had through this doorway. This is the entry point into kingdom work. And so we can complain about it and we can say, yeah, I don't want that. I want Christianity outside of that. Well, what you'll have won't be Christianity, even though it will be called that in this world. Christianity is this. This is Christianity. It is not a bonus version of Christianity. It is Christianity. It is the blood of Jesus applied to the human body the human life paul says do you not know that your temple that your body is the temple of the holy spirit and that you have been bought with a price you are not your own that didn't say no you over there you see you're you're a special situation you're not your own but you know ben here he can be his own that's the way a lot of us think it's like no that's special christian stuff that's, I don't care about the bonus Christian stuff. I don't need to be a Hudson Taylor and Amy Carmichael. I'm fine not being that. Every single one of us is called to the same exact thing. Complete consecration under God. It doesn't mean that we don't have degrees. When we come in, we think we're consecrated. I know all of us have gone through this at some level. It's like, Jesus, I'm yours. The next day we realize, boy, am I still holding on to the controls. Does that mean that what we experienced the day before wasn't real? No, it was real. But God is still showing us that there are degrees that he wants to continue to press us into. And it is a continuing, a breaking of us to allow him to have more room. My description of Christianity, if I was going to give it in a nutshell, is a light bulb being planted into the core of our existence. Now you'd think, if this great light bulb, and this is like the ultimate light bulb, you know, one of those things that's like 10 million watts, you know, light bulb. And it's just like... You know, just think about it. God in heaven... There is no need for a sun. Why? Because God is the light. That is, okay, 10 million, that isn't big enough. What, 10? What Googleplex watts? Uh, we're talking, I don't know why I got the number 10 and why we're I'm limiting it to that. A uh, Googleplex, Googleplex watts. Uh, in other words, God is all the wattage, and that is planted inside of you. So you could say, well, the world should be seeing it then. Praise God. And how come no one is seeing this light in and through us? Because isn't it there? It's there, maybe. But we are also there. And we're like black construction paper. And we're wrapping ourselves about the light. Now, if if you wrap black construction paper around, now, if it's a Googleplex, Googleplex wattage, maybe uh, you still would see So It'd probably just melt away. <laughs> we need to, this metaphor somehow needs to carry through. I'm not sure how you do it. But uh, The point is, we wrap ourselves around the great wattage of God in our soul. And as a result, we obscure this world from seeing a very real reality within our soul, and that is that the birth of God is real. Jesus has come into a stable once again. A baby has been born. It's infantile, yes, but it's real and it's there. And there we are too. Every step of obedience that we take is like a pinprick in that construction paper. And every time you yield to God, every time you heed with this ear, every time you give up control, every time you say, I will not go there, I will go here. In obedience to God, a pinprick is made. You just add one pinprick to that construction paper, and guess what? You see light. What if you had two? Whoa, this is getting exciting. Throughout your life, you're adding more and more pinpricks. In other words, you linger around for quite some time. Even though you detest yourself lingering around, you have a tendency to hang on. Little piece of you is still lingering over here, and you're like, How in the world am I still there? But that is the process of maturity and growth. Jesus, the the whole principle of maturity is just inerrant in the process of Christian growth. We always wonder, it's like, Okay, I prayed this prayer, I'm sincere about it, why am I not just a finished product? Because maturity is the proving, daily proving of yieldedness and obedience. This is a a race that demands perseverance. That is why God speaks to the issue of perseverance. It's like you could come out of the gate strong. But I'm looking for men and women who are going to be consistent day in and day out to say, my God's will, not mine. My right ear, my right thumb, my big toe, today. And then you wake up tomorrow and you go, my right ear, my right thumb, and my right toe, today. You know, that is the secret of getting that smell of the stable out of your life. And transforming this very existence into a holy of holies. Plated with gold and smelling of frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The tribute unto Jesus. You want to bring gifts unto Jesus? Allow him to plant his very presence within you. To showcase, to waft forth into this world that sweet smelling fragrance of Jesus Christ to all this earth. That is our role as Christians. Our privilege as Christians. It's an incredible opportunity. So, on the practical side, I want you to realize that one of the things the grace of God equips us with. Is the ability to have our flesh and all that stands against this forward progress. Because it's funny. God's asking for your right ear. And I don't know what it is. This is God that's asking. And we have a tendency to pull away. And go, could we come up with different terms here? I don't like how extreme that is. We're talking about God here. The creator of the universe. He purchased you with his blood and yet you resist. What do you think you're going to get out of resisting? Do you think your life is going to be sweeter and better? For some reason we resist. What is that? That is the flesh. It is the disposition of self which is afraid to let God have his rightful place. We don't want to give up control. Do you remember the the, the book, The Great Divorce? Do You have that. C.S. Lewis is, and someone might need to help me with all the details because it's, it's been a long time here. But there's this man with a creature attached to him. Some blood, you know, life-sucking creature that is attached to him and it creates a great degree of pain on this, this man's body. And so I don't know if it was an angel or if it was God that comes up and says, I can separate that growth from you, that creature from you. Okay, he has been offered the solution to his problem. But what does the man do? The man looks at this sharp knife <laughs> in front of him that, was it an angel or was it God? Okay, he sees this sharp knife, he's like, oh, uh, isn't there a way that you could just say, uh, be gone, poof, and it'd be gone. But instead there's this knife, which means there has to be cutting. Uh, so this man's reasoning is this. He knows how much pain this creature is causing. It's quantifiable. He's been living with it for years. But the pain, the unknown pain of that knife is too much for him. Because it could be so. it could be worse than this. So as a result, he stays with his misery for fear of the unknown quantity, the unquantifiable amount of difficulty he may go through in having it separated from him. Even if that angel came up to him and says, don't worry, it'll be quick, it'll be painless. Well, it'll be a little painful. <laughs> That's the cross life. It'll have pain, yes, but it's short-lived. Just like child, I mean, God even links it to child uh, labor and delivery. I've never personally gone through it, you know, physically. I've gone through it emotionally, spiritually, every other regard. It's difficult because Leslie has very challenging uh, childbirths. And you know what's amazing? What comes out of it? Little Hudson's come out of it. And you don't see me complaining about it. You don't see Leslie running around going, this is unfair. I can't believe I had to go through that. She says, look what I got. I got Hudson. I got Avon." It's immeasurable in its benefit. It's like, God, take me through whatever you need to go through. This ear, this thumb, this big toe. God is making a simple request. It's not that complicated. I just need your life. If you want your life to work, I need it. And it's like this growth that is on us, and we are afraid to have it severed from our body. But I want you to know there is no greater thing that could ever happen to you than to have Jesus Christ have your ear. Jesus Christ to have that thumb. And Jesus Christ to have that toe. Now, sometimes personal experience only goes so far for people. When I say, my personal testimony of this is joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's my personal testimony. I love life. I love Jesus Christ, and the fact that he has asked for my ear and my thumb and my big toe does not make me mad, because I know he loves me. He's not some dictator up there that's just saying, you know what, I have no need for your ear and your, your thumb and your toe, but I'm going to take it anyways because I'm a harsh taskmaster. That isn't God. He asks for it because he knows it's the very best for me. If it wasn't the very best for me, he wouldn't ask for it. He asks for it because He loves me. And He says, if you want to be the way I intend you to be, if you want to be fully healthy, if you want to have the joy that is full and, and unspeakable, if you want that joy and that peace that passes understanding, if you want that victory, Eric, this is how you get it. You have to trust Me. And I say, I trust you, God. And it works. My life isn't without difficulty. But it sure is fun. And it's Full of joy and peace. It is full of the, the recognition that my God loves me and cherishes me. There is no greater way to live. Why in the world are we holding on to these ears, these thumbs, and these toes? This is our privilege. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's your blood, and you're the high priest. And you want to take that blood and apply it to our lives, to claim, to consecrate what is rightfully yours. Take it, Lord Jesus. Just take it. No more negotiations on our part. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would dislodge us from the control position. Do whatever you must to set us free from ourselves. Lord, we are insufficient. We will always be burdened with guilt ridden with lust, debased with sin, until we are finally set free. Fear will always have us under its thumb. Pride will always control us until you come in and take what is rightfully yours. Lord, you could have picked anywhere for your house, but you picked us. And the doorway into our life is faith. It's our yieldedness. It's us saying, come, Lord Jesus. And you come in and make that little 20 by 20 foot room in the center of our existence known as the spirit that has been dead. You bring it to life. And you shine forth out of our life. And suddenly there is a sweet smelling fragrance instead of the smell of a stable. Lord Jesus, drive the big meaningness out of us and stick in your Christness. Lord, we want all of you and all of us. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this.